The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his fields. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household, who brings out of his treasure that what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, so often in this world it feels like we are seeking you. Open yourself to us that we might feel your presence and experience your wholeness. Amen. So the texts that we have for today, all of them are familiar. Paul's writing in particular is actually not too hard to follow, which is, uh, which is different for Paul. He's uh, a man after my own heart, at least grammatically speaking, in that he generally likes the run-on sentences. But uh, this one you can kind of follow. I want to start with the first reading that we have. We're now beginning to move through the generations as we move from Abraham to Isaac, and now we have Jacob and Esau last week, and now we have Jacob on the run. One of the things that's interesting about the story today is that we have almost the same story that we had from a couple of weeks ago. The story of when Isaac's wife was found, also of Laban's family in the old country, but completely different. In that story, Abraham had sent one of his best servants a caravan of ten camels with all kinds of gifts and offerings for these people that they might pay the bride price. We hear about this task that is given them from the Lord. There is excitement about what God is doing. And for Jacob, none of the above. He's on his own. 
He's not there with any entourage. He is not there with a bunch of camels. He is not there with gifts. He's not there even with God. If you read that reading carefully, there is no mention of the Lord, God, task given from God. There is a sense that Jacob is on his own. Now remember, Jacob is the one who just tricked his brother with his mother's help out of his inheritance, the blessing of the older son. And now Jacob is about ready to get tricked. It's a strange reading. It's hard for most of us who have been married to imagine that you would have shown up the morning after the wedding not realizing that you had married the wrong woman. It's kind of hard to imagine. I remember as a kid I was thinking that he worked for seven years, there was a wedding, and then he worked another seven years, and then there was another wedding. He must have been a hundred. I was trying to do the math there. Actually, in the story, the weddings are right back to back. It's kind of hard to read that in the text. But it's interesting because things don't go exactly the way Jacob imagines. But I think in a lot of ways, that's life. We can think over this last week, we can think of a local family on vacation We can think of kids at a summer camp that they had been to for generations. We can imagine people milling around at work in their government offices probably begrudging their colleagues on vacation at the peak of the summer. We can imagine all kinds of people who had the day lined up fairly well, so they thought, and it didn't go quite the way that they had planned or not even close. I think in a lot of ways we ask a lot of big questions at times like that. How? Why? Where? What was God doing in this? It's interesting to me in the gospel text, we're kind of, if you've noticed the last couple of weeks, the, the verses are kind of gerrymandered from one week to the next. Last week we had two segments and this week we have the missing segment and what follows, we hear a bunch of parables. I want to mention just a few things about parables in general. Parables are intended to be simple stories. There's not a lot of torque that you can put on them. You can't spin them very hard. In fact, if you have to work them too hard, you've probably just abused the story as opposed to going with the line. I was always taught that the simplest rendering of the parable is most likely the correct one. And we have several. They're often short. We think parables, we think of the Good Samaritan, we think of these kind of long narratives, but these are very short. And they start out with this curious phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like... I always find it interesting when you hear that kind of language. You almost have the sense that Jesus is saying, you're not going to get it, but it's, it's kind of like this. This sense of analogy, perhaps. Trying to touch on some things that might be familiar to describe something that would not be. 
The other thing that has struck me as kind of curious is the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. In the book group, Love Wins, we've been talking about various words and phrases for the name of God. In the Jewish tradition, certainly a good rabbi like Jesus would avoid saying the word God or Yahweh out of respect for the name. And so would have come up with any number of words and phrases that meant that, but spoke to something else. The kingdom of heaven might be phrased as the kingdom of God But it's curious to me as the disciples grow to know Jesus that you can't think of any time in the Gospels or certainly coming to my mind right off where they would have asked Jesus directly or he would have replied directly, God is like. Or to imagine the disciples asking Jesus directly, what is God like? Tell us about God. Instead, we get these curious phrases about the kingdom of heaven. But I wonder if Jesus is, in fact, talking more directly about God. We have some images, if we take that route, that are kind of curious. We hear about the mustard seed, of course, this tiny seed. Early this last week, I was up at camp with a number of our kids... And I've always been struck by the size of the cones on the coastal redwoods. They're about that big. And I don't know how many seeds would be packed into them. I did read that the size of a seed for a coastal redwood is about the size of a tomato seed. Not real big. And the size of the tallest measured coastal redwood? 370 feet. Pretty tall tree. Bigger than most mustard bushes, I'm thinking. But the image of something that starts out tiny but becomes huge and a home for all in need is a curious image of heaven. It's a curious image of God. The next piece we get is this yeast story. A woman who mixes in, or as the text says curiously, Hides this woman who hides the yeast in the flour. Three measures. That would have been enough for all of us for sandwich bread for probably two or three days. This is a woman who is baking bread for a village, probably with others, a communal practice. And how God hidden, yeast hidden, affects everything. Another powerful image of of heaven, of God. And now the text gets even more interesting. We hear about a man who finds a buried treasure. Heaven or God is like this treasure that's not looked for. We picture a laborer who's out in the field doing a task. The laborer is not out there looking for treasure, but has stumbled across it when he didn't expect to. I think many times in our lives, God is found when we are not looking. It's when we experience a hard moment, an unexpected joy, the nearness of friends, and the experience of love in family 
that gives us hope and joy, those moments that we experience the kingdom of heaven, that we experience God when we were not looking. The next one, I think, is the most curious of them. Because we talk about a great treasure and then we immediately move on to talk about pearls of great value. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value. Except that it's not. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who upon finding one of great value sells everything to grab it. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. It's kind of a curious phrase. But if we were to say that God is like a merchant, and this is not a merchant who's not expecting to find pearls. This is a merchant on a search for fine pearls. And finding pearls of great value goes to great lengths to secure it. We should be hearing echoes of the story of the shepherd with a hundred sheep who loses one and very irrationally and irresponsibly leaves the 99 to go after the one. It's a story about God and it's a story about us. God has gone to great lengths for us. The kingdom of heaven, God is like a merchant expecting to find pearls and going to great lengths to find them. Now, this is where we'd like to stop the reading right there. As we move on into the next set of parables, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. And this is what leads us into the wailing and gnashing of teeth part. And we don't like that part so much. And I think this is where we try to to force it, and it doesn't work so well. We have to remember that in Matthew, he was very concerned at times about the sheep and the goats. We hear about the wheat and the chaff. There are a lot of ways in which we'd like to change this reading to mean something a little different. And to me, that feels false to what the Gospel writer was intending. But I think one of the things that we take when we step back a little bit is to remember that this is one Gospel out of four out of the New Testament where we understand this same God who goes to great lengths to find treasure is not one to give up easy, is not one who quits when things are hard, but rather a God who goes to whatever lengths are necessary to claim us. I think there is a joy and a good news in that text when we hear about the kingdom of heaven, even when we don't expect it. I think the image that I want to leave you with the most are those two images of the treasure. The image of the man who's not looking for it and yet stumbles across it and recognizes that its value is greater than anything he has. 
And then the flip story, the story of the merchant who is expecting to find good things and is willing to go to whatever lengths are necessary to secure them. Both of these stories, I think, speak to us today. On the hard days, on the great days, we recognize that there is every opportunity to run into God, but perhaps most importantly, when it's least looked for. And the other piece is that no, no matter how far we have wandered, God always comes after us, searching, paying whatever price, no matter how far we have walked. Amen.